The following Hello and welcome to the commentary for The Kingery, Season 3, Episode 7. And this is also sometimes known as Episode 31, although I noticed recently that the um, schedule no longer has the um, episode number. Now it's all by season, so I can... Um, I I guess I don't have to say that anymore. I don't have to do the math because I'm really bad at multiplying by 12. Um, I am Perry Whittle. I am the director. Uh, not with us today is Joel Rowan, who assistant directed on this episode and the previous one. And, but with us today is the writer of this episode, Renee Christine Jones. Welcome, Renee. Thank you. And welcome, Hello. And welcome to the Kingery and welcome to Kingery Commentaries. Yay. This is this is the first script that you've written and mm -hmm. uh, the first commentary that you've been on. Yeah, I uh, I'm very uh, excited to be here and do all of that. So, yay! Well, yay! Yes, indeed. <laughs> right now we're listening to um, the previously, and the background music is by David Alexander McDonald, and it's called Girl Psychology. Girls psychology. Right. Lots of R's, no I's. Um, and uh, let's see, we are using our, our fantastic time travel device to um, record this in 2009, and it won't be released until 2010. Wow. Uh, oh, no, wait, I'm completely wrong. This is not going to air in, or not going to be released in 2010. That's the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm completely wrong. Well, you know, it is in the future. It's in the future. It's in the past. It's all over everywhere. All right. <laughs> We're also listening in on the far distant future in the world of the Kingery. Ah. That's all just yes. really, really sophisticated. Makes my head spin. <laughs> so let's see. We've got uh, scene number one in Hooks' office. And uh, the actors are... Perry Whittle as Hooks, that's me. Um, Jane Parrish as Regina, M. Ciro Garcia as Major, and Catherine Pride as Tithia is going to show up. And the music in the music in the background is Knife Sharpener's Jam by David Alexander McDonald. And oh, hey, I want to say, um, I want to throw out there for you, Renee. When you hear your favorite line or your favorite ad lib, just uh, go ahead and mention it. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, right out of, like, there were so many that it might be a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have to say I did like the uh, delivery of the naked in the shopping center with the pretty little horses. Good. Yeah. Good, yeah, I thought Jane did great, and, um... Yeah. I was just trying to do something there. Yeah. That there, there is one very great thing that you do as the performance. I just always love to hear Hooks being so very frenetic and stressed out all the time. It's very real. Yeah. Very real. <laughs> Thank almost, you. <laughs> almost as though you might have a little stress or frenetic energy all the time. Yeah. Well, no comment. Oh, <laughs> I meant that as a compliment, you know. I liked when um, Hooks' voice cracks a little bit when he hears Major. I was wondering if that was a little too much, but I enjoyed it, so I threw it in there. It's great. So, <clears throat> pardon me. 
M does a very good job as Major. She's she 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 really does seem very tough. Mm -hmm. And very with the way she talks and the the mannerisms that she puts through in her voice, it's very easy to maybe mistake Major as kind of dumb, but she's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Church schematics. I think um, right there where Hooks puts the disc into the computer, I think that there were a couple of sounds involved in putting the disc in there. I think it, one of the sounds that was included is like um, the nozzle of a gas pump going into a car. And I thought that that gave the thing a nice um, physicality. And it's, it's, it's how this audio future differs from many movie-based audio fu or, or movie-based futures where where everything gets more virtual and there are less um there's less physicality to things but it, se it seems to me that i'm going back to what seth adam sure did when he started directing the kingery and and putting together its um its audio reality there seemed to be a lot of stuff that was actually physical stuff from from our universe and so uh, it, it's just that's just a way that we do things yeah. uh, where things are still very futuristic but they're still rooted like in the present and sometimes even the past um, right that, when was the last time you used a disc to look up information you know so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to say not not recently. Right. But perhaps in the future they'll come back. Oh yeah, they will. Yeah, just like vinyl has come back, right? Vinyl yeah. came back. <laughs> vinyl is back in a big way. I remembered years ago um talking with a colleague at work who um we were talking about some old jazz album and I was saying, "Oh, yeah, well, of course I have that. I have that on CD. I have it on cassette. I have it on vinyl. And this very young person said to me, vinyl, that is so cool. And I had to say, no, 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 it's not cool. It's just what was there when I first bought it. It's not cool. I'm just old. That's all it is. Um, right now, the background music um, has changed, and now it's Big Beds and Horses Heads by David Alexander MacDonald. And I love that big, um, when Tithia says, oh, yeah, here, ka-thump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's bigger than you wrote it in the script. I it's bad, but I thought it was funny. Well, I, I had originally thought of it as like, like a bag of bottles and pills and things like that. I think you, you got it. Yeah. He's supposed to bang his head and his little wood impact, wood on wood, of course. Yeah. And back to what you said about Major, um, that some people think she's stupid. I kind of don't think she's book, book smart, but she's really, I think, intuitive. Um, yes. Which is like from her her um, her task as a bodyguard is to read people, read emotions, read intentions in a in a almost um almost mind reading kind of way. 
So I think she's really smart about interpersonal relationships and, and what people are up to and what people are after, but maybe not so smart about, um, you know, academic subjects and physics and stuff like that. Right. No, I, I thoroughly agree with you. I think she's intelligent and very intuitive and perceptive in the places where it's very important for a bodyguard to be intuitive and perceptive such uh, going back a little bit um people are going to find that i like to name medicine so oh yeah i i looked up uh what like the suffixes of things would do so like gate and adrene and things like that so oh, this is major and tommy Tommy is played by Pete Milan. Major is played by M. Sierra Garcia. We heard her in the previous scene. And here at the end, Mac the bartender is going to show up. That's Ara Pelodi. And we just went past one of my favorite ad lib in this entire episode. It's a really subtle and little thing that um, Pete did as Tommy. When Tommy says to Major, when Major says you're really buried in that book, huh? Uh, Tommy's line, as written, is, uh-huh. But as spoken, it's, hmm? Uh, yeah. Which I think was just really realistic. It's not at all flamboyant. It doesn't attract attention to itself, but I, I just think that's one of the things that Pete does that just makes him fantastic. Yeah. As an actor. Well, you passed, we just passed one of my favorite ad-libs was the... I'm just spitballing this here. Yes. Which was, I hadn't even thought of that. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love that too. Yeah. And I love coming up here is when uh, Major's going to imitate Tommy. I like that. And another one of my favorite ad libs. The last thing anybody needs is Is that what I sound like to you? Never mind. Yeah, is that what I sound like to you? That's Pete. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was that's that's classic. That's awesome. Right. When I heard that, I had to leave that in. So yeah, of course. Um, oh, let's see. And the music in the background now is called "Railroaded" by David Alexander McDonald. It's a little louder than usual. A little bit more distracting. And um, I think that's because they're in a bar, and I'm trying to make it suggest being loud and distracting. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what other people think, but that that volume worked for me, and so. Hey. And and M gave me some great foley uh, for the drinking there. That was very kind of her. Thank you, M. Yeah. Great job. Sweet cheeks. Yes. I, I can't remember if I put that in there, but I think maybe it was Pete. So. I think that may be Pete. Yeah. And that's uh, some ad-libbing there from Ara. She gave some very nice ad-libs at the end of her line, um, which I decided to keep in there so that we could hear her moving off away from Tommy and Major, where they were. Right. Hey, boss. And uh, yeah, I just, I just thought she had very nice disgruntled muttering, given, given Tommy some attitude there. Yeah, I couldn't have come up with that on my own. What 
so. Now, all the other yeah, writers have said that uh, writing things. scenes with Tommy and Major is pretty easy. Is that what you found? Was that part of the easiest thing for you? Well, they have a very... Um, a very good dynamic between the two of them. It seems very natural and very, actually very trusting, which I found was different between his other cohorts, that he didn't really trust any of them from the beginning, but it seems as though he trusts Major. So it made it very easy for them to banter back and forth. Right. I, in my head. So, yeah, it, it was very easy. But also there's a challenge of having them be um, friendly without giving over friendly would be just a little too weird between the two of them right right and I liked um, Pete's performance of that ought to do it in that last sense, yeah. uh, last scene I thought that was really good now the background music is The Burmese Mood by David Alexander MacDonald mm-hmm. and the actors are Michael King as Shimizu Jorge Oriana as the spy, and Kim Giannopoulos as Ingar. She'll come in a little bit later. Yeah. And Shimizu's office has has a water feature and has sliding panels rather than our regular kind of doors. Just thought that was fitting for... Yeah. I, that's Shimizu's actually what I heard in my head when I was writing it. So, hmm. so, so good job. You may you may have even written that that there's a sliding panel or something. Did I? I might have. No, it just says door opens. Well, there are all kinds um, of things. Yeah. When the Kingery panel was reading this and giving me uh, notes on this, they said that Shimizu should have some sort of quirk because he's not really heard a lot in the previous episodes. Right. And uh, he didn't really have his green umbrella or. As Susan said, his smoking turtle, which I couldn't understand. <laughs> so I decided to make him a little um, creepy and sort of lecherous in a bleak, smooth, kind of slimy way with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really likes his bodyguard, Ingar. So. There is no telling what kind of well, that seems to be a theme. <laughs> Mob bosses uh, and their bodyguards. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and now we are in a meeting hall in the kingery, which is now a... Or, no, not the kingery, the, the church. Yes. The church area that uh, Regina has turned into the homeless shelter. And uh, we have Jane Parrish in this scene as Regina and Andrew Eckhart as Roberts. And in this scene, Joel Rowan cut the dialogue together. Oh! And the... Um, yeah, he did a great job. And the music in the background is Slow Glass 3 by David Alexander MacDonald. And there's big honking reverb on this whole thing. And that's that's my if you don't like it that's my fault. Um, but I thought it was um, kind of typically churchy the whole reverb and the um, this music. Well, especially since the hall is supposed to be empty. Right. Everything is swirling around me, and I can't keep Right. So this was the hardest scene to write. 
Ah, okay. Why was um, it? It's oddly the awkwardness between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a problem writing awkwardness. I'm much more used to people who know exactly what to say, exactly when to say it. And Robert's being so I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, it was, I guess, a little tough. It, um, plus, it, I had gotten confused at one of the plot points and had to go back to a couple of episodes and re-listen to it. So it, it was... It wasn't really difficult. It was more of a a, uh, a lack of preparing on my part. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, what was the easiest thing to write? If this was the hardest scene, what was the easiest scene? Uh, the upcoming scene with uh, Tithia and Olivia. Okay. And Debbie. Um, I, I wanted to give it a sort of playful feel. I felt that Tithia has come quite a long way. Right. And wanted to show rather than she, I I found her to be a little judgmental in the beginning of this series. Mm -hmm. And she's grown in a way that she's not as judgmental anymore. And she's actually helping, helping out. And she's not as sad. Yeah. She's not as sad with the whole Living and working with a whorehouse. So it was easy. Well, cool. Thank you. And yeah, I think you did a great job. And I, and I think that that's really interesting, the stuff that you've uh, picked up on about Tithia, because I, I see that in um, previous episodes. You know, as what you're talking about is back in season one, she was really unhappy. She was really angry with her parents for, for you know, what, whatever slights they were you know, whatever um, ways in which they were mistreating her, uh, whether they were imagined or real. And, um, yeah, now she's a little bit more forgiving, especially of, of Debbie. Yeah. I don't want to know about this. Regina and Robert here are just amazing in the way they delivered the lines and things. If I know about it, I have to arrest you. Yeah. Stop. Stop, please. Yeah, and J- and Jane gave us a lot of good crying stuff that we were able to, or Joel was able to um, put around and behind Roberts's lines. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought um, Roberts is so not comforting. I do. I basically, oh. he's saying la la la, not listening. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to hear this. La la la. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, it seems a little cold of Roberts to just say, you know, I I don't want to hear this. Uh, why don't you try praying it away? Seems a little cold, but yeah, it is pretty cold. But then he sort of explains it. I mean, he explains a little bit of it. I mean, maybe there. Was, yeah. I'm sure there would be much better ways to handle it, but that's the way he's handling it. He, yeah. Now we're in the uh, temporary whorehouse. Uh, we have Lexi Rawl as Debbie, doing a great job. Catherine Pride as Tithia, again, doing a great job. Pretty soon we'll hear Jared Page as a customer and Tracy Hall as Olivia. And this is another scene that Joel Rowan cut the dialogue together on. And uh, again, did a great job. 
And the music is Fan Dancers by David Alexander MacDonald. And here's another thing where uh, at the beginning of the scene, we had Tithia writing in a book. Um, and I figure she's writing in a book because that's more more volatile, you know, more more physical and more volatile than a computer. So if you need to hide it, you can hide it or you can guard it or you can burn it. Yeah. Right. So, like, um, you, you're much more in control of the data than you are on a computer when maybe anybody can steal it. So that that was my justification for why she's using a uh, book and not a uh, not a computer. And and you, uh, so Debbie's been calling Tithia Tithy for a while now, and you're the right. first person to have another character called Tithia Tithy. And well, I figured. Yeah, I figured that Tithy had probably grown up with these people. Right. And, you know, and I figured that Olivia would be a very, like, playful sort of person. And seeing how much Tithia hates being called Tithy, probably ribbing her a little bit and calling her Tithy. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's very nice. And now it turns out that lots of people know that Debbie's been on drugs and is trying to get off. Yeah. So, again, it's that um, that close-knit sort of family environment here of the professional sex workers. Yes. It's so sweet. Yeah. They're a family. Yeah. <laughs> it's a family business. That's right. <laughs> and, oh, one of my, so we went past one of my favorite lines that you wrote. Um, at the beginning of this scene where Debbie is talking about how she feels. She says, I feel like shit, blah, blah, blah. So a lot better than this morning. And I just like that sort of uh, misdirection of that line. And there's another one of my favorite lines. Um, Majors, I got a bad feeling this is going to go just as we expect. Yeah. That was a really lovely line. Thank you. Well, I figured that that's a... Major's not really on board with the whole war thing. <laughs> uh huh. Well, it's just you and Ingo. Yeah. I don't really think I So we're in an alley on a street, and um, we have M. Sierra Garcia again playing Major, Pete Milan playing Tommy Arkell, Michael King playing Shimizu, and Kim Giannopoulos playing Ingar. Mm-hmm. And now Tommy is promising yet again to make people pay for encroaching on his territory. Now, he's been doing that for a while. He's not really good on the follow-through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about the title? What is it? Forward Momentum? Forward Momentum. Uh, I... It was reading through the outline, and what it it brought to me was a lot. It reminded me a lot of the uh, laws of physics, and how uh, body body emotion stays in motion once it's forced with forward momentum. And I, it struck me that this uh, everything is starting to move forward. People are starting to push things forward um, to to a certain point at this particular point in the story. So I thought Forward Momentum was a very appropriate title. Right. Yeah. 
Right. I'm not saying, you know, in the in the previous episodes, I'm not saying that, you know, people weren't moving forward, but this seems to be a very conscious effort to push things. So. Right. Right. So now we have the theme music, and we have Bruce Busby doing a great job of reading the credits. And I want to say kudos to everybody who contributed to this episode. Um, and I wanted to say that I wanted to end that episode with more than just a gunshot. I wanted it to reverberate, get bigger, and really make an impact and sort of um, act as a springboard to the next uh, episodes that are coming. And I hope that people think it works. Yeah. I liked how it faded into the, the music. Yeah. The gunshot reverberated into the music, so it was good. Well, thank you. No, <laughs> no worries. And great work on your first episode. And well, thank you. You're going to be back in a month to talk about your next episode that you've written. Yeah, Trial by Fire had to write two episodes back to back. Yeah. I will talk to you again shortly. All right. Uh, you know, at some, at some point on several different uh, time streams, and um, we'll try and make that work. Cool. All right. Bye now. Bye.